You are listening to Vueltas y Revueltas, the cycling podcast at the Vuelta España, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Stage one. Today we are in Burgos. Well, Daniel, thank goodness for that. Off. The welt is underway. I was very tense. I was very nervous. Wasn't I get very nervous before Grand Tour start? Well, not as nervous as poor old Pelayo Sanchez Mayo, who's been sitting up there in the doorway of the cathedral here in Burgos, waiting for what seems like an eternity before his start. There are all the dignitaries in front of him lining up for the photos before the start. And he was made this, to stand there for ages. He was even well, given an interview, didn't he? This cathedral was built in 1220, or they started building this he's cathedral. <laughs> I think he's been there since then. 12, 1220 in the afternoon. Yeah, we are. It's very, very late. We've had a long day here in Burgos waiting for the start of the Vuelta. It's uh, quarter to six in the evening. The stage is going to finish about 9 p.m. Uh, Primoz Roglic, the last man off. So a few hours of action ahead of us. And it's strange, isn't it? Because we were wondering whether the late start, obviously it's Spain, they, do, they like to do things late here, but whether it was partly to do with the weather and the heat. But actually, it, it gets hotter as the day goes on. So we're at the kind of hottest time of the day now. And Rich, I'm just well, looking over to the other side of, I think it's called the Plaza de Santa Maria, where we are. And I can see the race director, Javier Guillén, who no doubt was also a bit nervous before um, Pelayo Sanchez started there. And talking about how long today has been, I saw Javier at the crack of dawn this morning in this spot and he was coming back from his run and he, he I can reveal exclusively that he goes running with a bum bag and he was also wearing cycling shorts he saw another run runner he saw another runner I today saw, I saw a, well it was a star-studded array of former well former greats of Vuelta and Spanish cycling Santiago Blanco Santi Blanco the former next Miguel Indurain uh, but most shockingly, Roberto Liseca, former tour winner, I think he won at Lusardi Den, did he, in the Tour 2001, was it? Um, that he was a talismanic figure of Basque cycling. But I saw him in an FDJ Group Armour replica kit this morning running. Well, and ever, a former luminary in the orange of Euskatel, Euskadi, and we have a, a, a diarist in this year's Vuelta from the uh, reformed Euskaltel Euskadi. We could team. be riding for we Euskadi. We've got we've been given it radio bibs for orange this Vuelta. It's a, a promotion. Orange. It's a promotion for us. So Daniel, we've we've had a long day in Burgos waiting for the start of the stage. It's it's strange. It's like waiting in a in an airport or something. You, you know, the, you're kind of you're a, a bit of a, a loose end. We had a, a nice well, we didn't have that nice a lunch. We're going to have a nice dinner later on, hopefully. Um, we've been eating the Marcia sausage, the the blood sausage with lots of rice in it, and uh, we had some of that to last haggis night. earlier. Yeah, um, not yeah. really being a haggis aficionado, but you are, of course. I am a haggis aficionado. That is my official title. Yeah, we should introduce ourselves. My name is Shmur. You're Daniel Freib, aren't you? Yes. Um, we You're will. A we. I'm here for the first four stages of the Vuelta and the final week, and in the middle bit, we'll be. Uh, hooking up remotely with Lionel Bernie and me when I'm at home and Daniel you're here for the whole Vuelta no, the normal coverage evening shows we're going to tell you the story of today's first stage of time trial as it unfolds over the next few hours um, it's a short course Daniel it's quite technical 
Um, not too challenging, really, um, but, but technical, twisty, narrow roads. And a climb, Rich. I and ran, climb, I ran yep. up the climb earlier. That was where I saw light second this morning. Um, we think that will favour Primoz Roglic, don't we? Roglic, of I course, mean, is everyone's does, favourite. Does, what doesn't favour Primoz well, Roglic? We, we fully expect this course to be roglified in three or four hours him to take the red jersey but the minor places are going to be interesting um if it is as much of a foregone conclusion as we think because there aren't too many specialist sort of prologue riders here let's not get ahead of ourselves so daniel um he will be starting a minute behind egan bernal arguably the second favorite for this race perhaps will bernal be looking anxiously over his shoulder over this sort of course you know over a minute's not a long, a lot at all. And if Roglic is in, I mean, because Bernal, Egan's he, ass could be grass and Rog's a lawnmower. <laughs> <laughs> There's a title of the episode. But well, we'll see what happens. But um, we were commenting, you know, Ineos Grenadiers obviously stacked with with talent, with stars, and, and a, a, Bernal, as he sometimes does, talking down his chance a little bit, or at least trying to ease the. The, the, the expectation on him because something that almost passed me by was that he is going here to become to join that pretty small club of winners of all three Grand Tours he's won the Tour he's won the Giro he's still only what 24 uh, which is quite remarkable and, and it kind of passed me by that, that, that possibility that feat that is possibly within his grasp here but speaking ahead of the race he was talking himself down a little bit well, Rich, as far as the overall is concerned, the bookies have got Rog as the strong favourite. The I don't know who he's odds on, but close to odds on. Bernal, of course. There's Carapaz. We've got Adam Yates who will be appearing out of the doorway of the cathedral here um, in Burgos quite soon because I think he's the first Ineos rider to go. Um, Ineos have got other riders, they've got other options. El, El Cid, as we're now calling him. We're, of course, in Burgos, famous for its association with El Cid. More about him maybe later, the, the military mastermind of the 11th century in Spain. Um, but we saw El Cid doing his recon this morning, and we were standing by a statue dedicated to El Cid. But um, he could surprise us at the Vuelta, and, um, well, it's, it's shaping up, as it always is. Um, as an exciting race, isn't it? Yeah, and Elsev, you mentioned Daniel. Elsev uh, has signed up again uh, as a, a diarist for us at this Vuelta alongside James Knox. We've got three audio diarists. We'll be hearing from them throughout the race as well. Sivakov, our diary on this Vuelta. We've just seen a former diarist, Jacopo Guarnieri, roll down the start ramp and birthday boy today. This is birthday. What a way to celebrate your birthday. You are listening to Vueltas y Revueltas, the cycling podcast at the Vuelta España, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Still guessing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights, and personalized analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. My name is Charlotte Hayes, and I am head of diabetes wellness and education at Team Nova Nordisk. Um, I spend a lot of time with the research committee, with glucose management for the riders, 
I also spend a lot of time with the development team because there are deep learnings to do as fellows come onto the team and develop skills as athletes and cyclists, but also develop skills in terms of glucose management. So I've been on the road for the past um, two months with the development team as they race and train. I grew up in a cycling family, not racing bikes, but on you know what was something we did as a family. I am a registered dietitian nutritionist in the USA. Um, I have a, a, a credential and a board certified uh, in sports dietetics. And then I also have an exercise physiology degree. So um, and I'm a um, clinical exercise physiologist. So I, you know, it's a it's a package that I kind of bring that allows me to do a broad um, have a broad scope. I worked in diabetes care clinically in the USA um, for about 10 years and then um, have professionally been very involved in diabetes my whole career. When I came into the job, I didn't, I knew about cycling, but not to the depth that I have. So that was probably, that has been my deepest learning curve. Thanks very much indeed to our title sponsor, Super Sapiens. We heard a bit there from Charlotte Hayes, um, who I met at the uh, Nova Nordisk Talent ID camp in Normandy a couple of weeks ago. We'll be hearing more from that camp over the course of this Vuelta, but we're very grateful to Super Sapiens. You can find out more at supersapiens.com. And if you want to enter our competition uh, to win three months worth of Super Sapiens uh, glucose monitoring devices to wear on your arm, go to thecyclingpodcast.com and send us a clip of audio, uh, 60 seconds or less telling us how and why you should win Super Sapiens. Daniel, we're at the finish, or close to the finish here. One of your tips for the Alex Aaron Buru has just gone through in the quickest time. Uh, 8.38, knocking Alec, uh, Dylan Van Baal out of the hot seat. Adam Yates was there beforehand. So we're starting to see some pretty fast times, faster than I uh, the, my prediction for the course here. But you mentioned Jacopo Guarnieri uh, and his birthday just before the break and you spoke to him at the finish. I wished him happy birthday. Richard, I should warn the listeners here, Jacobo, as you're going to hear, he was very hot. So, um, well, that explains the explains the expletive. The trot is burning. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like... <laughs> well, Jacobo Guarnieri, first of all, happy birthday. 34 today? Yeah, right. Do you feel older now than you did seven kilometers ago? <laughs> For sure, I feel older than 30 years ago when I started pro cycling. <laughs> well, today is uh, the kickoff of the Duelta. As I said before, it uh, um, could be worse if my birthday would be, in, uh, would be tomorrow. Because uh, tomorrow is going to be, I would say, almost sure echelon. So today is 7K in your lawn. So if you hurt yourself, it's your fault, you know. So I cannot blame anybody else. Well, Jacopo Guarnieri with some fruity language. Um, uh, it's funny because a lot of riders are obviously very hot and hot and bothered because it, it's well I spoke to Fabi Jacobson Joe Dombrowski we'll hear from them in a, in a moment but uh, both of them with that prosciutto's cough we used to call it where the lungs are really scorched by this effort here in this dry air as well um, it really it's a short 7.1 kilometer effort but you know 
even if you're a rider like Joe Dombrowski, who's not it's targeting this stage, it really takes out you. Well, another thing that... I don't, well, know if you I, felt that, I don't know if you felt that after your run this morning, Daniel. Not particularly. It was only about 20 degrees this morning, but we heard Guarnieri say that it would have been stupid of him to go too hard today because obviously he's got a big job to do tomorrow. And I'm just sort of sensing from speaking to a couple of other riders that the word has gone around, certainly among the teams, that tomorrow could be a very complicated day because of the crosswinds. There's almost no shelter in this part of Spain. Um... I think the wind is going to blow a little bit and we're probably going to see bigger GC gaps tomorrow than we are even on stage three finishing on Picon Blanco. That's the sense I'm getting. Interesting, interesting. But we're still on stage one here, Daniel, and all the big riders still to come. Adam Yates saw an encouraging performance from him, I would have thought. Yeah, the, the time gaps aren't very big at the moment, are they? Um, I. It's hard to envisage anyone who is hotly tipped for the GC, losing a lot of time today. I mean, I think we've seen Mikel Lander in the past. Um, his GC hopes been they've been jeopardised on the first day already, and that hasn't really been the case he's today. He's done all right, it? actually. He's, he's ridden pretty well today. I mean, my uh, imagined catch of uh, Bernal by Roglic, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> it's a bit far-fetched, a bit fanciful. Um, but one rider who has finished, I mentioned him a moment or so ago, a rider who will be targeting the sprint stage is Fabio Jakobsen. Everyone's delighted to see him back racing, of course, and he's returned to winning ways recently. Um, he's back at the Vuelta. He won two stages here in 2019, and he's got a pretty strong team around him to support him, so he will be looking forward to some of the coming stages. But had his terrible crash last year at Tour of Poland, of course, um, a life-threatening crash. It's taken him a long time to come back, and as we'll hear here, he is slowly approaching that old level, he thinks. Take a, a bit out of you, the time trial there. Oh, yeah. It's a hard effort, eh? Yeah, it's, uh, we don't do it often. 10 minutes all out, yeah. no, no. especially with the climb. Try not to explode there and then try to recover on the downhill and then do another 3K. No, it's, it's a hard problem, yeah. Fabi, this is a race with uh, happy memories for you, I guess, of Welta. First of all, you must be very pleased just to be back here. Yeah. Uh, it's very special and it's a good feeling, uh, you know, when I'm up on the ramp starting. But uh, afterwards it was a little bit painful, but hey, that's part of cycling and uh, that's what I love to do. So yeah, I'm happy to still be here. And having won recently, um, how are you feeling? I mean, are you, do you feel like you're getting close to your previous level or where would you put your, your level at the moment? Yeah, uh, just, just a little bit below. Of course, it's a bit harder to compare because I haven't had the, the same build-up as other guys, but if I compare the data and feeling, I I would say I'm getting close, but uh, not quite there yet. I think that's something I'd like to achieve either after the Vuelta or towards next year. How do you feel mentally in, in the bunch sprints as well? Do you feel any kind of nervousness or fear, or, or are you okay with that? No, I'm actually quite okay with it. Uh, of course, cycling is... is it's a dangerous sport, it's a possibility you can crash, but normally when you crash it's not that bad, so no, I'm not scared to crash, I'm just scared to end up in the barriers or you know, crash like I did, but yeah, that's only a couple of times uh, in the sprint, uh, and I'm just paying more attention now also to other riders, what they are doing, but no, I'm not breaking, but I'm, I'm definitely more focused in the end. Do you take some inspiration from Mark Cavendish at the Tour de France? Yeah, of course. Uh, I think it's a beautiful comeback. Uh, and I admire him. Uh, it's an, it's, yeah, I would almost say it's like a fairy tale, you know, that he made a comeback like that. Green jersey, four stages. So yeah, I, I aim to do something similar, hopefully.
chute à l'arrière du peloton. Cycling podcast team car at the back of the pack, please. That's said PK, the voice of Radio Tour, to remind us to tell you that this episode is sponsored by NordVPN. I actually became a NordVPN customer several months ago, completely independently of this sponsorship arrangement, and I did so because I realised I was being pretty complacent about my online security. NordVPN offers online security whether you're at home or abroad, and I guess I realised that while we're away working in particular, we're often using hotel Wi-Fi or public Wi-Fi or tethering the laptop to a phone and using 4G to do all of our work, and it just sunk in that this is not a terribly secure way to carry on. A VPN basically encrypts your data and routes it through a secure tunnel so that it can't be intercepted by anyone who might be fishing for uh, personal or financial details. Now, that might not be of critical importance when we're uploading audio files for the podcast, but while we're away, the podcast business has to carry on running too, and sometimes we have to pay invoices or book hotels or buy things online, and it just gives peace of mind to know that our financial and card details are all safe and secure. I also discovered an added bonus with NordVPN, which was that when you're traveling abroad, you can use the VPN to log in as if you're at home. So you can use Netflix or BBC iPlayer or GCN or the Eurosport player as if you were at home without running into any geo-restriction issues. It's also really fast, so when you're using the VPN, you're not actually slowing down your connection, and that's important for us when we're uploading audio files in particular. You can use NordVPN on up to six devices, so you could protect your laptop, phone, tablet, or even your home router. And NordVPN are offering Cycling Podcast listeners big discount. If you go to nordvpn.com slash TCP, or use the code TCP at checkout, you can get a big discount when you sign up for a two-year plan. So go to nordvpn.com slash TCP, that's N-O-R-D-V-P-N dot com slash T-C-P to see what sort of discount is on offer today. There's a 30-day money-back guarantee if you decide it's not for you, so there's no risk either. Played in by the bells from Burgos Cathedral there, Daniel, uh, and we're in the closing stages of the time trial tonight. Eric Maas has just finished. Primoz Roglic, is is he roglifying everybody? Not to the extent that we perhaps expected. And in fact, Rich, I'm quite surprised, I don't know if you would agree with this, at how small the time gaps have been. And I guess it's, this tells us what happens when you have such a technical course with a, a decent climb um, in the first half. Bernal, though, is, is losing a little bit of time, uh, quite a lot of time, um, of, of the GC riders. It's that old question, isn't it? How much of a test of form is this? We spoke about this at the Giro as well. Even a short effort like this, you do, you can hear there that um, that's the thing, Bernal coming across the line there. But how much of a, how much of an indication, a guide is this to form, do you well, think? I, I think it's a good good guide yeah, to form. I, I think it is as well. And you, you've seen, I mean, they're small margins, but you have seen that the, some riders are in excellent form. For example, Roman Bardet, who's who in the past is not has not been renowned as the great time trialist and he lost well, up until a few minutes ago um, he'd only lot well I think he's still he's 11 seconds down on Aramburu and here comes Roglic Daniel well what do we expect here we expect him to well we expected him to smash everyone today didn't we but if he does take the red jersey it's going to be by fairly narrow margin I spoke to a couple of riders and they said that this was a course that did, did suit the sprinty 
punchy riders like Aramburu and Roglic, six seconds up. A very narrow win for him and by his standards, but yeah, I mean, uh, a lot of uh, guys really lumped together at the top there and, you know, not much to separate them, but Bernal has lost a bit of time there. Um, and, you know, I, ju I just wonder, you can sort of see whether riders are pinging or not. Alex Aramburu has been in the hot seat for a long time, not a very comfortable looking hot seat, waving and smiling. He knew it was coming, didn't he? Or I'm sure he suspected it was coming from Roglic. Roglic with his gold bike and his gold helmet, first outing as Olympic time trial champion, and uh, he's done it. He, the defending champion, is in the red jersey of race leader. So we've got the results, Rich. Aramburu six seconds down. Jan Tratnik uh, eight seconds down. Scully ten, and um, well, Matthews. I had him down as my second pick. He was fourteen seconds down. And um, but it's a bit of a motley assortment of riders in that top ten. I didn't think Vlasev would go particularly well today. He is well tenth, fourteen seconds down. One of the better GC riders. In fact, after Roglic, you would have to say that Vlasov has had the best day. And um, remember, Aston had another. But did you like my Vlasov joke? It was as it going. You might, do you want to repeat it for the listeners? Well, he was in the start house and the counter was standing, counting down. And as he got to three, I went three, two, one, Vlasov. Nah, Daniel laughed at that at the time. People have just turned off in droves. He did a very good ride. I think Adam Yates did a very good ride. He was well, the early pace setter. Even, as I said earlier, Mikel Lander didn't shed the amount of time that we expected. So... It's pretty much, um, I wouldn't say it's as you were, but we have, I don't think we've learned, apart from those just, just very slight, subtle hints about form, in terms of time gaps, no one is really on the back foot after today, I wouldn't say. Even, uh, well, Sepp Kuss, I thought was an amazing performance from him. He's obviously going well. Um, Jack Haig, you know, big questions about his fitness. He was really in a bad way after the Tour de France and this is his first race since then he crashed out of course um, but again you know the, the signs are, are pretty good uh, for him Superman um, not Superman. had a, a remember his uh, time trial at the start of the Giro last year blown off the course literally and out of the race but 21st today that's that's decent for him isn't it it is uh, he's done the odd good time trial before but they've been few and far between Enric Mass as well Pretty impressive. The one one guy who did sort of surprise me negatively today was Mark Padun. Didn't look like he was trying to me. I'm not sure about that. But uh, I was I was slightly <coughs> well. I was curious about the Bahrain victorious starting order today. They had Tratnik, who was probably their best chance of winning today. And um, he was going off last, and Padun was second last. Lander a lot earlier. And I talked, uh, I said on Twitter the other day about their, their midfield. They've got this glut of fantastic what, on, in other circumstances, would be great GC riders. Caruso, Maida, Padun, um, uh, Wout Poles as well. And, um, yeah, it was just, I, I just wondered whether there were any hints there as to their strategy and who might be their second and third leader, their plans B and C. Um, in fact, I, I sort of asked Jack Haig about precisely that when he finished. Should we hear from him? 
Jack, 15 seconds from Aramburu. He's a kind of punchy, sprinty sort of rider. Does that tell us a bit about what kind of course it is? Yeah, definitely. I think in the recon, I knew maybe like Aramburu, maybe Michael Matthews, these kind of like puncher guys could really do well. I think it was maybe a four and a bit minute effort to the top there. Quite steep out of the seat kind of effort and these guys do really well there. We've got Padun going off for you guys, penultimate rider, Tratnik last, Lander went off earlier. What should we read into that, if anything? I think uh, Lander wouldn't have dinner early. It's quite on Spanish of a Spanish <laughs> person, but uh, no, I, I wouldn't read too much into it. Lander wanted to go early and uh, I think Trapnik has the best chance of us to win the stage. And it's definitely cooling off now, so that'll help a lot. And between all of you guys, Caruso, you, Padun, what's the sort of status of you guys? Are you secondary leaders or? No, so we've come here, obviously Lander's going incredibly well. We saw that in uh, World of the Burgos. Uh, maybe the level was not super high, but he's a great rider. So we need to give him all the opportunities as possible. He's proven he can do it before in Grand Tours. So we come here and try to do the best for him. And if anything falters, we've got so many guys here as backups that we don't need to specifically select a second GC rider, I think. And just finally, Jack, hearing murmurs that tomorrow could be a bit of a tear up with the wind. Um, what do you know? What have you heard about that? <laughs> well, uh, this is maybe day three in Burgos for me. Day one was windy, super windy. Day two, we rode the last 40k, not a breath of wind, super fast. Would be no stress, sprint finish. So maybe we have a 50-50% chance, but I think if there's uh, some wind, it'll be much harder than the standard sprint stage. We want wind, you guys do not. <laughs> I personally would love to see a bunch sprint, no stress, come into stage three, see what happens. But I know for the fans, the wind would be the best. The effervescent Jack Haig there, always very upbeat, isn't he? And I'm curious to see what he does in this race. What about, what about his theory that Mikel Lander started early, um, whether that was linked to the time he wanted to have dinner? I mean, I think starting early was a very wise move if you could, because as we saw with a few of the riders, a race like this it might look like nothing on, on paper a 7 kilometer time trial but they were going deep and in this hot dry air they were really hurting their lungs and some of them will be coughing for a good uh, couple of hours I would suggest after this and, and it'll take them a while to wind down it's 9 o'clock now you know a rider like Roglic might be winding down about 11 Roglic is maybe a bit, bit of a bad example because he takes everything in his stride um, but yeah I mean uh, the, the you know having a bit of extra recovery time I mean Landers basically had an extra two hours recovery time wasn't he today um, which can only help I would have thought but um, yeah I mean yeah very late very late effort. I mean I was struck by Roglic again how, how relaxed he seemed he wandered into the, the, the little warm up house before the start and chatted to Jan Tratnik his uh, fellow Slovenian he, he, he looked incredibly relaxed he was smiling he was chatting um, you know, he's going for his third consecutive win here at the Vuelta, isn't he? Um, there's very little pressure on him. You know, we're, we're used to that with, with Roglic now. He's definitely the favourite here. And Sepp Kuss could be a, a very useful lieutenant for him and clearly is in great form. What are you hearing about Lander? 14, no, 39 seconds. Par, under par, over par? Probably par, but um, it could be worse. I mean, it, it's quite a lot of time, isn't it, really? Um, when you look at how Grand Tours have decided often these days the recent Tour de France apart. Um, it's, it's seconds, isn't it? So that could be significant, who knows? Um, we were talking on a completely different note, Daniel, earlier on about the first rider in the race, 21 years old. You asked whether he was the youngest in the race. 
I was struck by this. I mean, we know that the Vuelta is a race where young talents are blooded, but look, the, the number of exceptionally young riders, there are two 20-year-olds in, in the race, Carlos Canal, Quinn Simmons. There are one, two, several, um, seven 21-year-olds. You know, there, there are the, the, the 15th youngest rider in the race is 22-year-old Simon Carr. It's quite extraordinary, and it is continue a trend that we're seeing. Another trend we saw today was riders riding on their road bikes uh, rather than time trial bikes. Quite a few opted to do that, presumably to try and go up the climb fastest. It didn't seem to work for them. Odd Christian Eiking. This gave rise to an amusing conversation between me and our Danish colleagues from TV2. I didn't. I felt slightly uncomfortable about just... I wanted to speak to him after the finish, but I, was, I felt slightly uncomfortable about just shouting odd <laughs> in the hope that he would That's why he's never been on the podcast we don't we can't figure out how to attract his attention uh yeah we maybe we'll set ourselves that challenge another thing daniel that i noticed was uh, riders florian seneschal did this leaving the start house and as they're going down the ramp pressing their button on their computer it's just i don't know i, I can't get my head around that it's just an odd you know waste of of time and effort to be why, why is your computer not set to start automatically when your wheels roll Science in Sport is supporting the cycling podcast at the Vuelta España Science in Sport fueled by science Thank you very much indeed to Science and Sport, our longtime sponsor. If you want 25% off all your Science and Sport products, go to scienceandsport.com and enter the code SISCP25. SISCP25. Thanks again to Science and Sport. Now, um, Daniel, who was who were the disappointments today? Um, you mentioned Adam Yates was. Well, we said uh, there weren't any really flagrant, you know, disappointments, but. Just going a bit further down the general classification, I mean, I sort of maybe revised my opinion slightly about Landers' performance. 39 seconds, maybe it's, it's a few seconds too many. Um, Tom Pidcock was, was tipped by... Daniel Freem. Well, yeah, mainly because, mainly because he seems to be able to do everything. And we thought that might include time trials like today's with well he is he's a very good time trialist yeah former world junior champion that's rod getting his red jersey hugh carthy as well hugh carthy lost around i think he lost more than lander he, he lost he a lost lot 40 of time. seconds yeah and again that that's slightly disappointing for someone who again has ridden good time trials in the past rode a very good time trial 30, at the end of 33 well. seconds he lost so a little bit or less 33 yeah. 33 um, slightly disappointing, but again, I, I don't think these time gaps are going to have too much impact on the general classification when we get to, not Madrid, but Santiago de Compostela. The problem is, though, Roglic, how, you know, it's a question for teams, and especially any Oscar ideas who brought the heavy artillery here. How do you beat Roglic? You know, do you, do you take him on at his own game? Do you try and go for these bonus seconds? Do you contest every uphill finish? Do you have... You know, they've got Adam Yates, who's a, a great sort of punchy finisher as well. And he is top of the Ineos Grenadiers pile tonight. Not and as punchy as Rog, though, is he's he? He's not as punchy as Rog. Well, no, nobody is. But do they go? Do they try and take him on at his own game in order to try and beat him? Because it, it's a huge advantage he can earn for himself. I mean, that 39 seconds Landa lost today, Roglic could gain over the next few days or the next week in, in bonus seconds. 
Well, last year he took the red jersey straight away at the end of the first stage, lost it to Carapaz after I think six stages, and then it went back and forth a little bit. And as we know, he was he seemed to be fading towards the end. The previous year, so the first of his welter victories, he took the the red jersey after ten stages. I think I think you have to you have to really target that third week and really have faith in the fact that he is going to fade because he's done it he's done it every time in every one of these grand tours he's contested that he's won or nearly won including the Giro um, the Tour de France famously in 2020 I think that's what you do um, and you know you look at the last week with the two big mountain stages in Covadonga but also on the penultimate day of the race there's a stage in Galicia which is up and down all day it's kind of it's like a mini Liège-Bastogne-Liège or a maxi Liège-Bastogne-Liège in terms of the climbs um, 202 kilometers and you know it's a day when the general classification could change quite a lot and, and I think you have to be patient yeah that, that's a very hard stage isn't it um, Daniel uh, you another you know team that always comes to the Vuelta with great ambition and pressure and expectation and even today in Burgos um, every time there was a Movistar rider out in the course the cheers were louder it's, it's a Spanish national team isn't it um, but there's one non-Spaniard, well, there's more than one non-Spaniard on the team. There's there's uh, one notable non-Spaniard on the team who you've tipped for tomorrow's stage? Well, no, I've not tipped him. I, oh, I, mentioned I think you have. No, I think he's going to be in your 18. I mentioned him. I mentioned him last week in the podcast last week. I said he was a curious selection because he's a young um, professional, Johan Jacobs from Switzerland. Yeah, we were going to give his name at some point. Um, from Switzerland. And well, he's got an interesting background. His father is Belgian, mother Swiss, grew up between Switzerland, I think mainly in Switzerland. Now got a Belgian girlfriend, lives in Belgium. Very much a classic star rider, a big ruler. And it's pretty obvious that he's been picked. I mean, if you look at the Movistar roster, the only other ruler, big ruler they've got is Imanol Erviti. And Jacobs, it struck me that he'd been selected very much with tomorrow's stage and other stages in the first week particularly the one to Albacete and the one down in uh, La Manga in mind so I was curious to speak to him after the finish today well after his first day at a Grand Tour and to see if he could shed any light on what he's been told about why he's at this Vuelta España well yeah and your first Vuelta, your first Grand Tour. Tell me a bit about how it felt today to roll out here in Burgos. Well, I think uh, it's really special, you know, uh, for sure. Also, being from a Spanish team, which this is actually one of the, the most important races of the year. Being just here, making the selection of the team is a really big honor. And in a nice city like this, with such a nice scenic background like the cathedral here, I mean, it felt really special, yeah. When I saw your name on the team sheet from Movistar, my thoughts immediately went to tomorrow's stage, and there are a couple of more stages, five, six, seven, eight, um, when it's gonna be windy. Just tell me a bit about how it did come about and what the team management was, was sort of saying to you about those stages in particular. Yeah, of course, I think uh, my my focus is on, on these first stages where there's a possibility for crosswinds um, to support uh, our leaders, uh, Miguel Angel and Emric, as, as, as much as I can. And uh, if there's something I can do yeah, to do the, the most I, I can to, to help them not to lose or maybe gain time in the, in the general classification. Um, we're here with a really clear, clear objective, that's uh, the general classification with those two guys <coughs> and the stage hunt with Alejandro. 
um, and I think yeah for for these stages it's we have a really nice uh, nice uh, support uh, like a, a support crew uh, let's say uh, should like I want to like how I like to call it it's like uh, me Rojas and uh, Imanol Erviti I think uh, we have a really strong team to support our guys in uh, in crosswinds and Tells me a bit about the cultural integration and the linguistic integration. I know, I'm sure you've been asked about this before, but we've all seen the Netflix documentary. Not only do those guys all speak Spanish, they speak fast as well. Yeah, they speak. They speak really fast, and uh, you don't have any any choice. Actually, you have to learn Spanish. Uh, luckily, I'm I'm born with a talent for languages, so I pick up a language quite fast. Um, if I don't have a talent for riding a bike, my talent is definitely in languages. So by now I speak quite good Spanish. If they speak fast to me, like in person, I can understand everything they say. If, and if they speak in, in the group, like uh, like you see in a Netflix uh, documentary, if they speak like fast uh, to each other, I understand like 90 to 95%. So I pick up most of what they say. So yeah, for me, for me, the integration went quite quite well. Maybe it's best not to understand absolutely everything at all times. It keeps things simpler. Yeah, maybe, maybe yes. Yeah, but uh, it's a really fun group. I have to say, we laugh a lot. It's a really big fan. It's like a big family, and uh, most of the time, it's really, it's really fun. Of course, when when it's uh, it's it's business time, it's business time, and you have to you have to be serious. But um, most of the time, uh, there's no like, uh, yeah. I think people they make, you know, Spanish people they are quite temperament. Like I don't know how to say in English, like uh, temperamental, yeah, temper Emot emotional, emotional, and then emotions can can fire up quite quickly, and it may come across like rude or like really like explosive uh, um, environment, but it's actually really really nice and, and warming. Well, that was interesting, Rich Johan Jacobs. Johan Jacobs. There's a very famous golf coach called John Jacobs. Um, Scottish golf coach and every time I say his name I want to say that um, he was talking about his cultural integration there and um, we're not coming to a Netflix series near you because as we know there's not going to be a third series alas of El Dia Menos Pensado not this year no um, but it's going to be really interesting to observe him over the next few days and to observe tomorrow's stage in general because as I said earlier there is talk of crosswinds but Movistar had this Vuelta you know, I mentioned the Netflix series and there was a lot of heat after that. I think you guys spoke about it during the Tour de France for Jose Luis Arrieta, who was their number one DS. It has been for a number of years, particularly at the Vuelta. He's not here this year. He's been replaced by Pachi Vila, who came on board last year and was given a sort of watching brief, wasn't it? As we see in the second series of El Dia Menos Pensado. And he has supplanted Arrieta at the Vuelta this year. Yeah, well, Francois spoke to Arietta at the tour and <coughs> the, that Movistar series, the Netflix series, had really um, not gone down well with Arietta himself. And, you know, he came out of it pretty badly and his reputation was certainly harmed by it. I think the, the team's reputation was probably harm, harmed by it in a way, even though by opening themselves up in the way they did, they actually endeared themselves to fans. But I think um, the way that, that certain people came across didn't probably do them any any favours, Arietta being one of them. Talking of direct sportings and strategising, I'm going to draw this out over the next three, three, four days because we're in Burgos for three, four days in and around Burgos. We talked about El Cid earlier, not El Siv, El Cid. El Cid was 
this famous military mastermind in Spain um, in, in the years where the, where the Recon, Reconquista, when the Moors were sort of driven out of Spain, it lasted centuries. It's, it but, was a sad day when the Moors were driven out <laughs> yeah. of Spain. Well, El Cid was, um, he was the top baller back, back then in the 11th century, but he was famous for his very innovative strategies and, and, um, and team talks as well. To, to his soldiers, so I've been reading over the last few days, and I was asking myself, what what team would El Cid fit into nowadays as direct sports? He, he struck me. If you read about him, and I invite, I would encourage the, our listeners to read more about El Cid. Um, it struck me that he would probably fit in quite well at DSM. DSM, yeah, um, or Deconnect Quickstep, no, possibly. Um, what about Burgos, so Daniel? The only start of the Vuelta I've been at before was Nîmes, and this has felt very similar to that. That was 2018, 17. I don't know, it was a few years ago anyway. Similar-sized town, uh, beautiful town. And First time it's ever hosted the Vuelta start. And it's, it's, it's been great. I mean, you know, lots, lots of people um, and quite good crowds. Out, and, and it's just, we talked about it when we were in Nîmes all those years ago. The, the you know Neem felt like the perfect size town to host the start of the Welter and Burgos has felt very much the same today I think yes Rich in a, a region a city with a big cycling heritage not it hasn't produced that many riders the Burgos region the probably the most famous rider is Inigo Cuesta who holds the record for what Richard oh uh, what does he hold the record Inigo for Inigo Cuesta most famously rode for Onfe in the 90s I don't know and what he, record he holds. For most Welsh participation, 17. Ah, well, well, well. He hails from very close to Burgos. There was a rider in the 90s called Arsenio Gonzalez, who's also from here, but not that many riders, but there are some big, powerful clubs. We've got the Burgos BH team here, Burgos BH team. And um, it, it's a region with deep roots as far as professional cycling is concerned. Indeed. Um, and we're here for a few days, aren't we? We're kind of in the same hotel for four nights before we move on on Tuesday. So we'll get to know Burkhardt quite well, I think, over the next few days. Um, Daniel, can't go without hearing from Joe Dombrowski. I mean, a Joe Dombrowski interview is, is, is expected by people in the podcast. He's writing here. He rode the Giro. He'd won a stage at the Giro. He crashed out after a few days. Same crash as Mikel Landa, of course. Um, it was Joe that went down first. Mikel Landa ended his Giro as well. Uh, so spoke to Joe at the finish. I was keen to find out about his contract situation because he's out of contract at the end of the year and doesn't currently have anything agreed yet for next year. Quite a hard effort, eh? Yeah. How are you? Yeah, okay. Uh, I mean, okay, right now I'm not okay, but I'm okay. <laughs> Generally, yeah. I mean, yeah, t- a, tough, a tough effort, isn't it? It's, it? As I said, a few guys coming through here paying for it. You've got you've to really dig deep in that short distance. Yeah, it's like, you know, also before these Grand Tours, most guys really taper quite a bit. So you're super fresh and when you're really fresh and you do a hard effort like that, it's, uh, it stings a bit. And also it's so hot, you know, it's obviously August now. So most guys are pretty well adapted, but we're having a bit of a heat wave too. So it's even warmer than it normally is. So we, uh, we last saw you at the Giro, Joe. When we last saw you, I mean, you've been racing obviously since then. I mean, how, how is the form? How are you feeling going into this race compared to how you are at the Giro? Yeah, I think, uh, to be honest, going into the Giro, I felt like I was really going good. 
it was kind of a slow build all spring and then uh, just in training in the couple weeks before I was seeing good numbers and obviously I started really well and uh, I wasn't there more than five days but I wouldn't say I feel quite as confident going into the Vuelta. Uh, I didn't actually know I was doing the Vuelta until a couple weeks ago but we'll see. I mean you can really surprise yourself sometimes anyway so. It's not a race that's maybe you know the, the climbs in the Vuelta are very different aren't they? Yeah you know I'm not an explosive rider and I'm I'm suited to more of the high alpine climbing stages whereas here you know we have a couple stages with some climbing but for the most part it's traditional Vuelta like big fast roads and then an explosive finish so for a rider like me it's quite tough actually because if you want to do something from the GC group it's going to be really explosive because you might only have a 3k finishing climb at 15 percent and then if you want to be in the breakaway it's not simple because you know here in Spain we tend to race on big roads and the speeds are very high in the Giro or Tour you see more small technical roads and if you're smart about your efforts you can find the breakaway more easily whereas if we're on a highway at 60 k's per hour, it's a bit of a lottery, you know. And a good example, many times in the Vuelta, you'll see a rider like Remy Cavagna in the break because he's able to go so many times on the flat. But for someone like me, it's a bit more difficult. I think Cavagna's <laughs> riding, Joe, but never mind. Uh, yeah. No, well, but, but I know what you mean. Um, I mean, the team, uh, what, what sort of team do you have here? What are the ambitions of the team? Because obviously you come off the, the Tour de France, the, the team wins that. Does, that. does that take some pressure off everybody else in the team? <laughs> Um, I would say to some extent, but you know, it's like, okay for the guys that did the tour, yes, but we also have guys that didn't do the tour or Giro. And then if you don't have much to show for yourself so far this season, it's kind of like the Vuelta in some ways can be the last chance saloon, you know, it's like maybe for whatever reason, be it crashes or poor form or sickness, you didn't have, get what you wanted out of the first part of the season and now you have one more three week race to kind of show something and what about you and your contract situation <coughs> we were speaking a bit about that at mm -hmm. the Giro any movements since then do you know what you'll be doing next year actually I'm not sure yet um, I haven't signed quite yet and it's still <coughs> a little bit up in the air it's I think moving in the right direction but it's been a little bit slower than I expected but I hope in the next couple of weeks that it's all sorted and then yeah maybe you'll give us an exclusive on the podcast perhaps well, that was Joe Dombrowski, and uh, hopefully his Vuelta lasts longer than his Giro. Another rider really suffering after the time trial with the uh, the effort of that that short um, that short but quite difficult course. I must say, Daniel, that um, another Grand Tour tradition is Stacy Snyder's mugs, cups, and cappuccino sets and gelato bowls. And once again, they all sold out very quickly today. Thanks everyone who bought one all the proceeds to Phoenix Bikes, a charity close to Stacey's heart and close to her home as well. So she knows it well, and uh, we're delighted to be able to help Phoenix Bikes. And thanks to everyone who bought one. Haggis aficionado, Richard Moore. We'll probably be eating more morcilla, more blood sausage well, tonight. Well, probably to tonight. you will, probably you will, but we're also visiting a place, again, I mentioned last week on the podcast that in 2013, very famously, you'll remember this, Richard, and I think I actually oversold it. Two of the stars of the Spanish equivalent of MasterChef, I think it's called Top Co Cocinero or Top Chef. After the program, um, I said one had won and one had finished third or second, and they both came here and they opened restaurants. I think it was the guys who finished second and third. Sorry about that. Oh, um, disappointing. And they both opened restaurants in Burgos, and we're going to the much less fancy one. <laughs> yeah. Tonight. La 
I think it's called La Hamada, and the chef is a guy called Antonio Arabal, and um, sort of fusion cooking, and there's some Korean mixed with Italian, which, which I was slightly dubious about, but we'll see. Um, it's going to be interesting. Well, I hope it's easier to get dinner than it was to get lunch because it was very difficult to get lunch. We couldn't get in there. They said they were full, even though they clearly weren't. And it was very difficult. I mean, there are a lot of people, but it was uh, oddly difficult to get lunch in Burgos. So I hope dinner goes a bit more smoothly. I'm looking forward to that now, Daniel. It's and late. I was ticked so we, off. Yeah, we should go. I mean, go. it's early for Spain, but we it's late. We should go. Um, and on the wine front, I know not everyone appreciates the wine chat, but a few people do, one or two. Um, I got ticked off last night by our American Spanish colleague Andy Hood because we're kind of in or we're close to Ribera del Duero country and we're between Ribera del Duero and um, Rioja. Ribera del Duero is a bit heavier, it's a bit more dense, a bit more alcoholic and we went for Ribera del Duero and Hoodie was aghast because he said it's not a summer wine, you can't have that and a very lively discussion I overruled him. You won. You won out in the end, as you always do, Daniel. Um, let's go and have dinner. And we'll reconvene in Burgos for Stage 2 tomorrow. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks, Richard.